Hi, and welcome to The Point Being, the Arizona Daily Star's opinion page podcast. I am Sarah Garrett Gasson, the opinion editor at The Star, and I'm here with Edward Salaya, our opinion writer and podcast producer. How's it going, folks? And David Fitzsimmons, who really needs no introduction, but I will share with you anyway that he is a columnist and editorial cartoonist. Hello, all you desert rats. So today we are going to start off with something that's been in the news locally, nationally, our sanctuary city movement that is happening uh, within the city of Tucson. The organizers of a proposition got enough signatures. They've presented it. And uh, Edward, can you tell us what would, if voters approve this, what would it do? So basically what would happen, uh, Tucson Families Free and Together, they were the group behind this uh, petition organizing. Um, they turned it into the city last week. And if this were to go into effect, it would have the effect of basically putting into city, um, I guess you would call it city code, mm-hmm. that uh, police officers, if they were to pull over somebody they would be restricted from asking questions having to do with immigration status. Mm -hmm. Um, It's similar to a guideline that the police department is already following. However, this would really make it official and really um, make it a a bigger deal if if an officer were to somehow ask for somebody's immigration status. Um, Uh, You know, I'm I'm immediately wondering – when this goes on the ballot, if there's uh, what the opposition will be, if there's any kind of organized opposition to uh, Tucson declaring itself a sanctuary city, I think that's called Fox News. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder what, what form would it take? Would it just be you know would it become a subject of national interest, or would there be any uh, folks here in the grassroots that might? So I think the oppose it. I think there. I don't know if there will be an organized grassroots kind of campaign against yeah. it. I think there will definitely be. People who reach out to us. Uh, well, the GOP the put out local mm. GOP put out a statement, you know, basically condemning the the whole idea. Yeah, and it's kind of um, tried and true fodder on the right wing yeah. circles about uh, talking about immigration, and I think that's something that we can count on getting ramped up. Uh, as this heads toward election time, yeah, there's already a state legislature, state state legislator, uh, also GOP, who is mm. threatening to sue if mm-hmm. this is to get onto the ballot, uh, and it looks like it is. Um, they got two times the amount of signatures they needed, uh, so they had a huge, you know, uh, grace kind of room there for them to look out for. Um, so it looks like it is going to happen. Um, it's so frustrating. There's so much storm and fury over this issue. Yeah. And quite honestly, it will not have the same level of impact as the joyous news of a new site being found for the uh, migrants uh, seeking amnesty. I mean, that's some tangible positive step. Exactly. I think that's the biggest uh, problem for me with the sanctuary city thing is that yeah. while it does, I guess – codify these uh standards that the tucson city police are already following right um it really there's no to me there's no concrete getting better there's no addressing the actual issue at hand which is folks in this community who are undocumented uh, right I, I i definitely want them to feel like they're safe and that they can 
come to the police if there are ever crimes committed against them or in that community. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not sure if this does anything to helping them come out of the shadows. Yeah, what I think it really does is it, it hands uh, the right Tucson's head on a silver platter. Yeah. That's I, what it does. Yeah, there's just... Um, there's, there was another uh, an op-ed in March, actually, when this was gaining some steam, and it was written by um, Councilman Kozacek, and he brought up a couple of, I think, pretty good mm-hmm. points. Yeah. Um, while there may be some folks who actually suffer at the hands of crimes, there could be actual undocumented people committing those crimes, and it's not sh- clear in the way that this resolution is worded whether or not... Th- Folks who, like, say, ah. if they were to show up at a domestic violence occurrence, some, like in an apartment, it's not clear whether or not they'd be able to ask if it's clear that somebody is the actual aggressor here, if that person is in the country legally or what their immigration status would be. And in a case like that, I feel like that might be some time where you'd, you'd want to know, like, hey, there is a violent person who is not, you know, documented in this country maybe we should start some sort of proceedings to, if not deporting, getting that person. It's relevant. Yeah. It's relevant. Um, And to me, that's where I could see this gray area kind of becoming a little black. Yeah. On the flip side, though, if you are that person in that domestic violence situation, if you know the other person can get deported if you call, Mm -hmm. or that is your fear, Mm -hmm. um, are you going to call? Are you going to... Uh-huh. have police come to your home when the stakes are so high. You know, that was the big point when I spoke with the, um, her name is Zara Livier. She is the uh, director of Tucson's Families Free and Together. Uh, that was her main concern. Mm. And that was her big push for why this is so important and needed in the communities that are undocumented is that there's, if somebody hey, we're going to call the police and let them know that you're undocumented. That is a severe threat that is felt throughout that community. Um, And that's something that this would hopefully address. Did she talk about the concern, which I can see is is legitimate, that things are one way with one policy under this particular city council and this particular chief of police? It seems that you would that the effort is to kind of, as you said, codify that. So city council could change, chief of police could change, and that practice would still not be allowed. Yes, she definitely hit on that in that this would be something that there's no kind of takey backsies if this were to be approved. There's not something that a council five, ten years from now could go in and say, hey, we don't like this, let's pass some resolution. It would have to be a voter approved, another voter approved uh, a resolution to to kind of knock this off if it were to pass. So there was that, that concern about, hey, what if somehow it is Tucson, uh, somehow a conservative, uh, you know, majority on the council were to say, we don't like this sort of thing, let's take it out. So Again, the flip side of that is if this turns out to be a terrible idea, you can't just have the city council pass something. Voters would need to rescind or approve something else. Yeah, plus there's always the threat that the state could withhold, uh, I believe it's uh, revenue from sales taxes. Um, they tried, I believe they threatened that during the gun meltdown argument oh, yeah. uh-huh. two years ago. Yeah. That's something they could definitely pull again. And is that something that the city is wanting to 
throw extra funds into to fight as well. With so many flip sides, I can't support it. Initially, when I first heard the proposal, when I saw a sweet soul on the street with a petition, oh, yeah, what a great idea, until I studied the issue and saw all these complexities and all these flip sides. And thank you, Mr. Kazachik, for that uh, op-ed piece, too. That was interesting and provocative. Yeah. Sigh. It's, it's... There's the uh, the bleeding heart liberal in me that always wants to help people no matter yeah. what. Um, and then there's the kind of pragmatic side of me that's like, let's take a little bit closer look at this. And is this necessarily the best thing for that community and helping them become a larger part of the American kind of quilt? And I'm not so sure it works. Does the bleeding heart liberal part of you and the pragmatic part have to be mutually exclusive? Not necessarily, not most times, but I feel like at least in at least when it comes to this topic, I just think there are too many, like you said, Dave, there's too many kind of externalities that aren't really being considered in the language of of this resolution um, and uh, well, I think it is like I, I think it is very good hearted and it's in the in, it's in the right vein. I'm just not sure this is the idea or the time for this this sort of resolution. Wow! I'm just <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just racing ahead to the to the to the joke concept that well, you know, once we pass comprehensive immigration reform, these issues won't be uh, exactly yeah. just six mm-hmm. months from now. You know, right? So. Yeah, brave new world. It'll all yeah. be fixed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, definitely an issue with their with no easy answers because you the the goal and the outcome that's desired, which is a safe community for everyone, um, is not something that is easily achieved, no matter what your um, your way of looking at things are or whether you think uh immigration reform is necessary, whether you think everyone should just um, be excluded from the community, which is not, of course, something I would ever support. But it's definitely something that is not a, pardon the pun, black or brown and white issue. Mm. So moving on to Fitz's Mm. letters, what do you have for us today? Uh, Well, it's hard to weed through all the fan mail to find a critical letter. But I do manage to find one now and then. We, we appreciate your perseverance. Uh, this one is not about a cartoon, because Whoa. apparently my cartoons are not at all provocative and rather boring to readers of the Arizona Daily Star. Not to certain Johnny, one note here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the columns. Uh, I wrote a column last week about uh, an assisted living casino promoted by Desert Sapphire. We got a couple of angry folks who responded to that. Did you hear Olster? I think your column this morning was offensive. I wish you'd retire. <laughs> Ernie. <laughs> Living Casino. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. I thought it was a pretty good little piece. It was. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, it would be darn popular. I think so. There may be a version of it being put up pretty soon here, too. Oh, my God, especially with the slot machines adapted to take on your uh, oxygen line, your (laughs) catheter, your meds. You would never have to leave. It's a one-stop shop. Yeah. 
Yeah, the only issue is you'd have to have waterproof bar stools. I feel like this is like an idea that they're they're hearing in Henderson, Nevada right now and putting together. Like is, within six months, we'll see a, a win on it. <laughs> totally going to happen. This is not without, with, without the realm of possibilities, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, Edward, you were, you've been doing some reporting, kind of following up on a story that Gabriella Rico had on the in the news section on the front page over the weekend about the possibility that Tucson could end up with a casino in what was the old movie theater uh, space acreage um, near Grant and I-10. Yep. Um, so basically what happened is this week the Tucson City Council, uh, while they were in study session, they basically recommended that, hey, city uh, staff, go ahead and uh, kind of put together a little bit more or, or kind of straighten the language on an intergovernmental agreement with the Pasquayaki tribe that would allow for the tribe to put that land that we're talking about, that Century Theaters, into trust. So it would essentially become a part of their reservation. Hmm. Um, depending on kind of who you talk to, uh, that process could take a long time, at least under other administrations that didn't have a uh, person in the White House that is used to running casinos. Uh, some hmm. folks feel like this might be an expedited process because why Why not? Why would what what wrong would this administration see and putting up a, a casino of any kind. Um, however, still, if you look at how long it takes for land to go into trust, it usually takes between about eight and 10 years for this wow. process to go. Really? So even an expediated process of two or three years would be... That's still, that's still a pretty little quick. ways away. Yeah, it would be a little ways away, but still pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so basically the agreement between the city as it stands now is that uh, if the tribe were to want to put a casino up, uh, the tribe would be in charge of, I believe, its own water. While as right now, if there is no casino, the city still provides that and all of the other uh, services. Um, if the tribe chooses to build a casino, the city would not have the city would not have the right to pass off on plans. However, the tribe has agreed that hey, they would bring in. Um, the firefighters and everything so that they could do a walkthrough and, hey, this is all safe, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it, at least at that study session, everybody was very um, – I'm trying to think of the word here – very cautious. Um, and they didn't want to bring up the word casino at all, even though that was the elephant in the room. Huh. I think it was either Cunningham or Kozacek that actually brought up, like, hey, this is the – elephant in the room here we need to you know kind of mention it but um yeah that's that's pretty much where the project sits at now and to me it, it's a reflection that the city just kind of wanted to be at the table if the tribe wanted to they could have gone about this this process by themselves and you would have seen a process where uh similar to what you saw up in glendale two or three years ago when uh, that casino got built within the city limits uh, which is the only tribe-owned... I mean, what what do you think the neighborhoods think about it? Have you re talked to anyone about that? So I haven't talked to anybody in that neighborhood. However, uh, the other big positive that both the tribe, uh, the Pasquayaki tribe, and the city kind of noted at that study session is that 
the basically half block that lines right next to it, right on Fairview Street, is what used to be called Old Pasqua, Old Pasqua Village. So there are actually a lot of tribal members who don't live on reservation land proper now, but live right there in what would be adjacent to this property, Hmm. who are tribal members. So... Uh, Kazachek brought this point up too. These folks would obviously would be folks who would be able to vote on if the tribe does choose to make this into an entertainment or casino complex. These would be the folks who would benefit from it and be able to kind of have some say in what it looks like. So the city and wow. tribe both presented it as this win-win-win sort of scenario. Well, it is an industrial impoverished zone surrounded yeah. by strip clubs. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't know anything about that. What would the impact? But... I would. I've, <laughs> I've been to that neighbor quite often, let me tell you. I actually Li- live right down the street. Yeah. So. Liquor stores. Yeah, a lot yeah. of liquor stores. You wonder what the impact of a casino would be on that neighborhood. I do. And to me, I think it could have some positives, but yeah. I, I just... I, whenever I think casinos and the neighborhood off of it, I always think of the neighborhoods right off the Las Vegas Strip and how I wouldn't want to go to those places anywhere between the hours of 8 and 8. Um, and I'm not sure if one casino would end up doing yeah. that. And it's not even clear if it'll be a hotel casino well, or just I, a I casino. I think that's the sunny side of that site is it already has those conditions. Yeah, it kind of does. So it wouldn't be like, hey, it's really going <laughs> to worsen the name. Oh, it's going to drive down property value. No. Mm-hmm. Too late. That's a good point. It can only go up. Only up. Hmm. Yeah. I would, I would hope that it would at least bring some life to that area because when you do drive by, like you said, it is very kind of barren, almost industrial, um, even though there is houses there. What I would be interested to hear is while there is not an organized uh, neighborhood association north of this site, there are homes and um, trailer parks. Um, and while you know maybe the, there are some folks in there that would frequent a casino or an entertainment venue, I, I still think there were some. There will be some that are like I don't necessarily want to be living right across the street from a bunch of one you know one armed bandits. So. Mm-hmm. To me, as somebody who lives a mile and a half down Grant from it, I'm just a little bit worried that it might bring in, well, well, it may be a dilapidated area right now. I don't know Mm -hmm. how much crime crime there actually is. And I always worry about that with a casino coming into into an area. Maybe it's just my naive, suburban, Phoenix-raised kind of... Because I have no clue. I have no. I have no factual basis. I have no idea what was the what, what was the impact of Desert Diamond and the, and the uh, uh, Desert Soul Casino on that area, other than really lifting a lot of people out of poverty. So that's the big thing I'm trying to find out right now with the Desert Diamond Casino just south of Valencia. Well, that um, that casino is not in the city of Tucson proper. It is right across the street from the city limits, and there is actually a significant uh, neighborhood association huh. organized right right about right just north of there. Uh, so I have reached out to those folks to see, like, hey, what is was there a change in quality of life? What do you, what is it like now? Um, and that that would be something I'd be interested to see because yeah. there are a few. Um, there's a middle school and two. Uh, 
two elementary schools in that neighborhood. So I'd be interested to hear from kind of the family's point of view. Like those aren't usually people you see going to Desert Diamond in the first place. Is are, is Desert Diamond being a good neighbor? Are they yeah. to the property value kind of point of things? Is it something that you've seen a shift in? Did it go down at first and now it's fine? Did it? Would, was there no impact whatsoever? Yeah. Those are the sort of things that I kind of want to get a better understanding of. I'll probably end up calling some folks in Glendale, too, because yeah. that's probably the most analogous situation. Well, you do that, Sarah and I will watch Casino a oh, couple of times. That's a good one. But, you know, Casino, to me, is so derivative of Goodfellas. <laughs> I mean, it's like it down is. to the characters. Yeah, yeah, you know? Goodfellas, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's – can't wait to maybe film some of that here in the uh... – because <laughs> did you hear there's a film being filmed here? Or a, a, I, a movie, a cinema? Something, something yeah. Over in the old. Uh, uh, Toy Story 6. Oh, my. Yeah, live action. I was wondering what the line into here was about yesterday. Woody retires. Oh. Yeah, Sun City. Sad. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. All right, so let's switch gears and talk about something that's been on my mind and something that we've talked about amongst ourselves and uh, for a long time. And it's always sort of that sense of proportion, what people will Conclusions they'll jump to based on very limited information, the assumptions people make about how newspapers and news outlets work, and it's just something that I would like to, to you know, just chat about it because we have good conversations yeah. about it. And so this is an email that I received uh, a couple days ago, and it was in reference to uh, some editorial cartoons that we ran, uh, we, we publish editorial cartoons from uh, syndicated cartoonists who are both conservative from the Washington Post, Lisa Benson and Mike Lester. And we ran one uh, from one and another from the other uh, within a couple days. And so this is in response to that. So, hey, are there different Arizona Daily Star editors for Saturday and Monday publications? Okay. One Washington mm-hmm. Post cartoon on Saturday is thematically the same as that on Monday. It's not plagiarism, but I resent the Post and the Star using the same tactic as the Russians are doing on social media sites. I don't need to read the same leftist tripe. <laughs> leftist tripe within three days' time. We get the point once is enough. Shame on the Post and shame on the Star. And what is accusation exactly? <laughs> we are Russians. So it it I just sort of sat with it for a little while and was thinking. How do you get from two people having similar views about, and as I wrote the guy back, saying, basically, we run both cartoonists. They happen to be cartooning about similar topics, uh, which is what happens when you are an editorial cartoonist responding and commenting on the news, and that this, publishing two cartoons with similar viewpoints is a far cry from anything the Russians have been doing with their propaganda machine um, as they've been waging their propaganda war against the United States. And I just thought some perspective was in order. I'll give you a perspective. Last week I get a memo from Putin. <laughs> he wants three cartoons. Three. <laughs> Better drawn, too. Sorry, you sounded like the Count from Sesame Street. One, one, two, three. 
It's time for a luxury company. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, this happens all the time, that sort of nuclear option. Yeah, and well, the the present administration feeds it, feeds it constantly. I I get emails... uh, uh, that nature questioning my uh, my ties to the you know the fact that I spend my weekends on George Soros yacht. I don't know what that has to do with my cartooning. Cruising Nothing. up and down the Santa Cruz party, <laughs> yes, fishing for endangered Sonoran trout. Yum! It's kind of funny, um, just how people like. There was two cartoons. Number yeah. one by conservative cartoonists. Um, I'm not sure where the liberal tripe came in, um, but that they would, the first thing they look to compare it to is a Russian disinformation campaign that, so to me, it like hits on two levels that number one, somehow we have conspired with this cabal of foreign actors to, to influence the Tucson electorate, I guess. And number two, that, it would that that how, how liberal or excuse me how how conservative does a, a cartoon or or a columnist need to be in order to register as not liberal? Like what is this? <laughs> to me, it's it's this wow. is a, an ever losing battle for for Democrats and for liberals in general. Where I think there's this that somehow people have this this notion that. Uh, um, anything um, that I don't like is liberal or socialism. And that's just not how the terms work. Like, no, you just don't like it. it it's I not think, because it's yeah. political. It's not necessary. It's just because it's I agree yeah. with you. You know Exactly. Yeah. It's weird. And I find, also, I feel like a killjoy because it seems to give certain individuals such great pleasure to discover these truths that no one else has apparently yes. uh, discovered. This and, Gnostic like, vision, yes. you know? One of, years ancient, a phone call a thousand years ago. Uh, you know, there's a semi-truck uh, wandering around the country, and in the back of that semi-truck are computers, and it's run by Jews. And the Jews running these computers have all the Congress people's information on those computers, and they pull the strings. And I said to this caller, are you sure it's not the Irish? Long pause. (laughs) No, I said Jews. Then I said, what's your source? A late night radio program I was (laughs) listening to. Okay. Wow. From Mr. Alec Jones. Yeah, Yeah, but you know we all, I remember points in my life where you desperately want a, a handle on what's happening. You want to understand. It seems so complex, chaotic, and out of control. You want a template that, so it all makes you sinister order, sense. Order from the chaos. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. We can't offer that. Yeah. The fascists <laughs> can, though. Sometimes the fascists can. The fascists can. can. Yeah, exactly. Hey, that sounds like a cue for a song. The fascists can. <laughs> Who, Who can, can make the can. gum drop? Yeah, like that. <laughs> That'd be a good one. I, I like that. Uh, but yeah, um, I I just think it it kind of speaks a little bit to towards uh, when you get yourself inside, whether it's a liberal or conservative, libertarian, whatever, inside an information feedback loop where. 
hey, if I'm not hearing or seeing what it is, the person on the radio who is saying the same thing as the person on Fox News, well, there mm. must be something wrong with these people that they're putting this information out. I got another uh, email from someone who had uh, submitted a couple of guest columns, and uh, we, we didn't end up using them. And part of the the concern about what what this person had had sent in was, you know, now that you are because it was criticizing the the Koch brothers, or as I learned after the uh, the enterprise emailed me to let me know that they're no longer the Koch brothers, they're Koch mm-hmm. Industries because one of them is no longer active in the company. I guess. Yeah, he's just a Koch bro now. Yeah, just yeah. a Koch bro. <laughs> um, but anyway, so. But the, this writer uh, was criticizing the, the Koch brothers and their philosophy and different things that, that they stood for and funded. And the, the, just the sort of the leaps of assuming that because the, we had run several pieces by the Heritage Foundation, which does get – it's a think tank from – started in the 70s, is received from – Very uh, prominent, yeah. Koch yeah. brother – money along with a lot of other um, funding, but that clearly we were, because the printing part of the newspaper has moved to Phoenix, we are being pressured to be more conservative Aha! and, or newspapers are just afraid because to publish anything negative about the Koch brothers Aha. because they are so all powerful. Mm-hmm. And or that this person was just a bad writer. That was her other, and uh, and and you know, uh, not a bad writer. They were fine. It was just not something that that was going to add to the conversation on that we have on the editorial pages because yeah. people's opinions about the Cook brothers are already pre- set. Yeah. set. Yeah. yeah. So. But yeah, just the sort of hmm. this is what is this is what I see, and so I fill in the blanks of what the possible reasons might be, without just picking up the phone and calling and asking or sending a hey, this is you know it's just we sort of just fill in mm-hmm. the the blank spots. We're very suspicious of each other these days. Yeah, you, do you think it's more than it has been in the past? This sort of leaps of logic and feels like it, but uh, what a coincidence! Last night I'm reading an essay by E. B. White, and it's about Eisenhower, and in it he's lamenting about uh, a woman who writes him regularly, complaining about the Republican-controlled press. Uh, so, uh, and he goes on at length about her theories about the sinister Republican-controlled press. I just think it's interesting that. Over half a century ago, it was kind of flipped. That, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, was he the guy that wrote Stuart Little? Yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah. Oh, him. great essayist. Yeah. Real. I didn't know that. Stuart yeah. Little is great, though. Stuart Little's great. Uh, I think, uh, did he? No, he didn't did write he Charlotte's Web. Yes, I think did he, he did. Yeah. Charlotte's Web. Oh, I got some qualms with that, but that's for another podcast. Yeah. Hey. The spider's the hero, not the pig. Anyways. Yes, Sarah. Sarah, what? Much like The Velveteen Rabbit. Oh, my. Those are two books that I do not like, cannot recommend, were somewhat scarring in my youth. 
Velveteen Rabbit looked battered. There was, I was terrified. I was terrified as a kid that they were when I went to the hospital for surgery that they were going to take my teddy bear away. Oh. Because I was obviously in a hospital, and that was the whole just eh, right. yeah. That's what you're supposed to take away from that. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. <sighs> Traumatized, but yes. As far as uh, the <laughs> e- as far as um, <laughs> the the gaps that people are are willing and and able to kind of jump through to to make it all make sense, I think that. And I, I'm not saying that it's exclusive to the right, but I think that there is a, a germ on the right right now that this is that that's kind of how big stories come about. Um, I actually uh, tomorrow's paper will be an editorial from a writer from the uh, Los Angeles Times having to do with the Seth Rich conspiracy uh-huh. and kind of how that grew Um from it was really a Russian disinformation campaign, That's and nice. they just let it out into the. Is that the boil? Yes. We had to cut that from. Space. Oh, okay, never mind. But uh, <laughs> just so for, if you're not seeing it tomorrow, uh, like I did, uh, what's happening then basically is that uh, conservative media sites picked that story up yes. and started filling in little gaps that oh hey he was really murdered by the Clintons. And it wasn't probably one or two drug dealers, like it said in the actual report of the the gentleman's death. And then that just grew into a huge story to where Fox News ended up running an actual like online story about it. And within a week had to pull it because it everything fell apart. Um, I think that there is just such such a not an information glut, but there's so much out there that people just don't want to have to cipher through and that as soon as they see something that's like, ah, that's, that's along the lines of what I believe they latch onto that. And that fills that hole. And I assume it's, it's profitable to feed the beast. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think about that every time I'm at the grocery store and I look at those national Enquirer headlines (laughs) as I'm buying my bananas. (laughs) Really? This is what inquiring minds want to know. Wow. It's like how many, how many times can people be tricked? Is, is that my boy question. was real? No, really? World Weekly News. Yeah, he what? had to be real. What they Why? wouldn't publish it otherwise. What are, what are we talking about? Well, there's a couple of boys. First, there's the Bat Boy. Then there's a the Lobster Boy. Oh, is there another boy? No, no. So World Weekly News <laughs> was um, a weekly. I guess so. tabloid in the in the name <laughs> World um, Weekly, but nothing daily. else in the paper was real. So why should yeah. that be real? But and they they would publish these outlandish things, and one of their ongoing characters was Bat Boy, and he had like bat ears and yeah. looked a lot like Eddie Munster. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. he would get himself into some hijinks, and they would write about it. And they were always the most entertaining <laughs> stories. But then there'd be other things like secretary finds giant toad in file cabinet. You know, that sort yeah. of weird stuff. Yeah. yeah. That, Theater of the absurd sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And uh, they're out of business. I don't know how. I don't know why. That sounds exactly. better than some of the stuff you see now. Like, <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk briefly about, um, and we'll pick up our conversation on it next week, but I-11, we would like to know more about what the uh, people think about the proposed Interstate 11, which would go through Avra Valley uh, and west of Tucson. Something that lots of people are writing us letters about, and no one seems to want it. Yeah. No one seems. The county doesn't want it. One out of every ten seems to be in favor sort of thing. Um, So this week, uh, the big development was they closed the public comment section on it. uh, And before that happened, the Audubon Society got a big kind of, I guess, article in the Arizona Republic saying that, hey, if they're – going to do this, there are basically three different routes that they're looking at taking. And the one that you just mentioned right now, the most popular one is, I believe it's the purple route. And that's the one that runs through Avra Valley, uh, ends up reconnecting with I-10 above Marana, and then running north, or excuse me, west of Casa Grande and west of what is the uh, South Mountains up in uh, the Phoenix area. And the Audubon uh, letter basically says that that would be a disaster for the environment uh, and that they should consider another route known as the Orange Route. And what that does is it basically follows I-10 all the way up to where I-10 splits with I-8, follows the route of I-8, out to near Ajo, and then there would be some new part, new actual mileage of roadage that would be constructed. So what they're basically saying is, uh, nah, let's not do what's being proposed right now and instead kind of use uh, uh, freeway systems that are already in use right now uh, and just upgrade those so that they can take a little bit more as far as traffic, traffic load. That seems very reasonable. To me, it seems very reasonable. I wonder what the uh, the impetus is behind uh, not seeing the reason in that and proceeding with the initial I, plan. So why? I, so why? I looked into that a little bit to, uh, today, and I guess the Nevada portion of this whole thing is complete. They actually got done with it about six months ago. So they're kind of waiting on ADOT to move through with this. And my guess is that there must be some landowners out there out there who have gotten either a sweetheart deal or the the Department of Transportation is like, hey, this is this is happening uh, because they seem to be pushing this through regardless of what the comments. Well, it, and what the widening I ten um, on the existing route mm-hmm. would involve a heck of a and I don't I haven't spoken with. ADOT or anything like that, but just thinking it through, um, that involves a whole lot of property owners, a whole lot of eminent domain if it has to come to that, if people don't want to sell, and maybe the path of lesser resistance uh, is going out west and bypassing the city. It just seems that governments try to, you want to deal with as few property owners as possible. Yeah. I don't know if this is relevant, but I, I have here a uh, a letter the county sent to the uh, state attorney general's office, and what they were asking about was whether or not uh, some a 2002 cooperative agreement between the Bureau of Reclamation and Pima County uh, is relevant mm-hmm. to uh, what's called the TMC, the Tucson Mitigation Corridor, Corridor. I think it's called, mm-hmm. right? 
And they got a response uh, earlier in July that said that the Bureau of, Reclama- Bureau of Reclamation is obligated to prohibit any future developments within the corridor unless jointly agreed to by the Bureau of Reclamation, the Arizona Game and Fish Department, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and Pima County. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Then the universal journalist sound. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. What does it mean? I don't don't know. That's interesting. Do you just keep memos? People send me the strangest (laughs) things. This was 20 pages. Thank goodness whoever sent this to me yellow highlighted the section they wanted me to see because i'm reading through it okay where's the punchline here yabba 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 diva 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 oh there, there we is. go yeah bureau of reclamation <laughs> okay who knows i yeah. think it's interesting i think um i think at least in the letters that we see the big concern is that this will this will sprout some sort of sprawl in that area um and I think I compared last week, I made a comparison to San Diego too. But to me, like, while I, I'm not necessarily in agreement with this, I, with this proposed route, I feel like if you're trying to go out to some of Tucson's biggest, um, I guess, what do I want to call them? Attractions like the yeah. Desert Museum. Um, treasures. Yeah. Treasures. Uh, treasures. Uh, old Tucson. I feel like a freeway like this would probably be the like a quick way to to get people coming from both north and south to kind of go to those areas and ah. see them. Isn't uh, it supposed to be a, more of a shipping cargo, yeah, kind of thing? It is, but I mean, if people, it's also supposed to be oh, kind if of people a, have a choice. Yeah. So the other bypass big thing is Tucson. it's a bypass if you wanted to get to. Las Vegas quicker. This is supposed to take about an hour off of the time because you don't have to go through Phoenix now. So there are a couple of different, and then it's part of the Canamex corridor, which along with I-10, mm. would, it would be the only freeway that touches both Canada and Mexico. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I yeah. guess there's there's that idea as long as, yeah. as far as with trade. It's an interesting concept. I'll be... I think it's years from ever being. Yeah. How about supersonic trains or tubes? (laughs) When do space cars come? Time travel. How about time travel? That works. That's called being in a casino. You can only go forward. (laughs) You can't go back. I can see. I can go for a freeway right down the main street of Old Tucson. I think it would improve Old Tucson greatly. You know, I've never been there. Neither. You're missing a lot. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. Was John Wayne out there at one, at one time? Wow. Hey, Robert Shelton used to own Old Tucson when he perished. Uh, his estate was put up online and recently auctioned off. I desperately wanted the Ten Commandments. He had the, the Ten Commandments from the from Charlton the, Heston? Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. I want the Golden Calf. Oh, I don't want the Ten Commandments. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Didn't get them. <laughs> we were looking at some uh, pants, I believe it was, from one of the characters in um, High Chaparral, which is a, a program that my husband and I greatly enjoy. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What was the name of the Latino character? He was my favorite. Manolito. Manolito. Yeah. yeah he's... Lovable, handsome Manolito. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, thanks for being with us this week. Wanted to uh, remind you that we can, uh, you can reach us 
by email. I'm at sgassen, S-G-A-S-S-E-N, at tucson.com. I'm at Eddie, well, my email is eCelaya, E-C-E-L-A-Y-A, at tucson.com. And you can also reach out to me at my Twitter, Reporter Eddie. Don't even try to reach me in the next two weeks. I'm on vacation. Email me at their addresses. (laughs) (laughs) And we will save them all. Thank you. So if you'd like to send a letter to the editor or a guest opinion piece, please go to tucson.com slash opinion, and you'll see the submission links at the top of the page. So until next time, we wish you well, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good one. Adios.